Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, I'll be reading the first uh, 12 verses there in your uh, Bible there in the pew. That's page 837, page 837. Last time we saw uh, the Lord Jesus in his tenderness and kindness and mercy uh, healing uh, a man with uh, leprosy, but then it kind of ended on a, a bit of a a down note as we find out that this man disobeyed the Lord Jesus and uh, started to uh, proclaim what had happened throughout the area and to spread the word uh, it caused some trouble for Jesus and had to uh, he's now uh, uh, no longer able to go openly from town to town in Galilee. And so as we pick up the story in Mark chapter two, we find Jesus returning home. This is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come now before you help us, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit. We know that unless your spirit is at work with us, these words will remain words upon the page. Uh, But as you work in us, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit takes these words and writes them upon our heart. And so, Lord, we pray that whoever we are this morning, whatever reason we came, Lord, we would know indeed your work in us today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, story is told uh, in Spain of a father and his teenage son who had a relationship that had become strained, father and son. So the son ran away uh, from, from home. His father, however, uh, began a journey in search of his rebellious son. And finally, in Madrid... In a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the newspaper. And the ad read this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Your father. The next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. 
It's a story. Not sure it's true. But you get the idea. They were all looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. Your greatest need is often uh, not what you think it is. The most pressing concern for this man in Mark chapter 2 and his friends was not forgiveness, uh, but uh, the ability to walk. This man was in need, uh, but he didn't realize just how needy he was. And uh, so the first thing we see in this passage is we need to identify the real need. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Jesus has gotten back to Capernaum. And the home where uh, he is returning to is probably Simon Peter's home, but we don't really know. Uh, Jesus is again preaching the word. You remember what he preached? It's in Mark 1, 14 and 15. He preached the kingdom is at hand. Uh, repent and believe in the gospel. And the place uh, is packed. I mean, there are no gaps uh, in the pews in this house. Uh, it is packed with people. And the Bible obviously makes... Uh, makes us aware of that, that there was not even room uh, at the door for people to to really uh, peek in. The paralytic is uh, desperate for help. His friends are desperate to get him help. In fact, they're so desperate, Mark tells us, they dig through the roof to create an opening. So imagine being in the house with Jesus and all of a sudden some, uh, you know, some dirt begins to fall to the floor while Jesus is preaching. And you're thinking, what's going on? Um, Not sure if they had uh, home insurance policies back then, but this would definitely have qualified for some kind of coverage, perhaps, as this uh, roof is uh, dug into by these friends. Most homes at this time were just one story, flat roof. People could have slept up there, uh, kind of like a veranda, staircase outside probably to get there. Probably beams, maybe plaster, dirt, we're not sure. Luke mentions there were tiles on the roof. But with some effort, a hole could be made. Now, Luke literally says, um, or Mark literally says, they unroofed the roof is the language. The point is, uh, these folks are desperate to get to Jesus. Uh, And uh, like Zacchaeus, who climbed a tree, you'll remember, to see him. uh, Or the woman with an issue of blood pushing through the crowds to get to Jesus. They were desperate to get into his presence. But when they get an audience with him, Uh, as they uh, lower this man into the presence of Jesus, uh, his response would have been unexpected, of course. Because they they came with a physical need for their friend, and Jesus speaks to them about the state of uh, this man's soul before God. Son, your sins are forgiven. Literally, uh, forgiven comes first. It's forgiven. Are your sins? Now you got to wonder were these uh, were these folks disappointed, right? I mean, they they came with uh, their friend there on the mat, uh, thick padding of some kind, lower him down. Yeah, obviously paralyzed. And uh, and the first words from Jesus have nothing to do with his uh, his physical need, but actually uh, speak about his sin. And you got to think, well, wait a minute, were these friends maybe disappointed? They're concerned about a present physical problem. And Jesus speaks of an eternal spiritual problem. 
After all, of course, a man can be healed, a man or woman can be healed physically in this life, but what good is that if he or she remains a rebel against God headed toward eternal judgment? He doesn't rebuke them, though, for their concern. He welcomes them, and the Bible says he sees their faith. So note this, friends, first of all. Sometimes, sometimes we miss the glory of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus and the beauty of the faith because we misdiagnose the problem. We think Jesus is here to just deal with some external obvious issues and symptoms maybe on the outside of our life, but he's clearly here going deeper. Imagine, for instance, going to the doctor, asking for help with uh, maybe you have bad breath. And, uh, but he tells you uh, you have a disease within uh, we come to the surgeon, maybe we want to, uh, we say, hey, could you please remove this wart from my hand? And uh, the doctor says, well, actually, you need a heart valve replacement. Uh, we come to the dentist for a cleaning, you know, you're you're cleaning. And, uh, and the doctor says, you actually uh, I see you need a root canal uh, or more often. Perhaps we go to the auto mechanic. This is what happens to me for an oil change or tune up. We find out, you know, brakes are gone, axle snapped, uh, engines failing. A lot more expensive and costly than you imagine. Now, this man's, this man's most desperate problem and need, the most pressing issue of his life, was not what he thought it was, and he didn't realize it until he came to Jesus. Until he was actually brought to Jesus by his friends. And then it became clear that his main problem was not paralysis of his limbs. Uh, but sin in his life. His main problem was not that he couldn't walk, but that if he could walk, where would his heart take him? His main problem was not the loss of the use of his limbs, friends, but the loss of communion and fellowship with God due to his sin and his need for forgiveness. So sometimes we, we misdiagnose the problem. We don't really understand what our real need is. Want some proof of that? What do folks in America today think is their greatest need and problem? You've heard of George Barna. He does these studies. I think it was last year he did a study. Uh, he said, what do you think? He asked people, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? Okay. So how would, how would folks answer that here in Salem County? What is, the, what is the most important problem in the country? Oh, you guessed it. 29% said money. Not enough. Uh, economics. 18% said, you know what the problem is? The government. <laughs> Poor leadership. Immigration. Gun control. Violence. Unifying the country. Racism. Poverty. Uh, family decline. Uh, and 2% said lack of respect for each other. But nowhere in this, uh, nowhere in this survey uh, is there an answer, well... Uh, our rebellion against God or my sin against God. Um, well, being rude to other people, lacking respect for others, which is in our country, is a big problem. Uh, by the way, uh, do you want to know what the rudest states are? The rudest state is Rhode Island, apparently, according to a study. Massachusetts is second. Um, we've got uh, California uh, at fifth. And uh, New Jersey, by the way, is the seventh rudest state, apparently, as far as how we treat each other. You know, the best state, Mississippi. It's down at 50. 
So you go to Mississippi, you find some kind folks who relate nicely to each other. But we're concerned about that, and we're concerned about how we, uh, how we relate to each other. But our relationship to God is often not on the radar, as far as the most important problem. And what about the church? What is our greatest concern? What about your children? What about your parents? There's lots of concerns we can have, right? We want to get good grades. We want a good job. We want a nice home. We want life insurance. Maybe we want that sports scholarship. We want a good tan. But whether we recognize it or not, the Bible says to us, friends, that our greatest need and concern must be our sin before a holy God. Why? Oh, because the Bible says sin destroys and sin separates us from God and sin infects our whole being and sin cuts us off from the blessing of God. And you know in Psalm 32, there's this wonderful graphic illustration of what sin does as the psalmist talks about how when he had not confessed his sin, when he tried to hide his sin, he says his, his bones, as it were, his bones uh, wasted away. Maybe you felt that in your own life. Where you've had sin that you've, you haven't brought to God. You're trying to hide it. And it's like your, your very body is just wasting away. Uh-huh. Our uh, sin needs to be forgiven. That's the first thing. And that's exactly what Jesus demonstrates in verse 5 when he responds to this uh, man being lowered in front of him and dust is all over the place. Uh, when Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith... So you've got at least five guys there, four on the corners, man on the, on, the, on, the, on the mat. Others perhaps came as well. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Matthew records Jesus saying, Take heart, my son, or take heart, my child. Uh, your sins are forgiven. The word forgiven there means to, to have something uh, put away. Your sins are are put away. And of course, in the Bible, we understand that our sins are put away from us and, uh, and they're, put on, they're put on to Jesus himself. The um, Bible says that he himself uh, bore our sins in his body on the tree at Calvary. So, so forgiveness is our sins being put away from us on to Jesus and he ends up dying in our place. So Jesus takes our, here in this passage, our, our felt need which is paralysis. And he digs deeper to reveal what lies beneath. What do you think here this morning as you came to worship? What do you think you need from God? Most of all. What is it? Uh, you know, what, what would you say to yourself? If I could only have this from God, then I'd be happy. Then I'd have peace. Then I'd be content. Then I can rest. What is it for you? Why did you come today? I want to have from God. What is it? Said John Owen, unforgiven sin is Satan's best friend and man's worst enemy. You see, I need to identify my real need. Secondly, we need to acknowledge the one with authority. Notice what the Bible says. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there. They didn't like what was going on at all. Questioning in their hearts. The word questioning there means dialoguing or arguing within. Why does this man speak like that? Now, remember, this is not vocal. 
This is just in their heart. This is what they're saying in their heart as they sit there. Uh, why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what's going on in, in, inside. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise and pick up your bed and go home. I remember uh, reading a fascinating book some years ago written by a man who came to be known as the Nazi hunter. Ever heard of Simon Wiesenthal? He was the Nazi hunter. That is, he would um, go through the files and track down uh, folks who had served during the Holocaust and uh, assisted, uh, cooperated, or or stood by when many Jews were and others were, were massacred. And he wrote a book called The Sunflower about his experience after the Holocaust while serving in a role with the Allies. And one day, a former German concentration camp uh, guard comes up to Simon Wiesenthal, and this, this, this German guard uh, is obviously in distress. And he confesses to Wiesenthal his role in the massacre of many Jews during the war. And this German was trying to find a Jew to speak to so he could ask forgiveness. And so he asked Wiesenthal if he could forgive him uh, for this great sin of standing by as thousands, maybe many hundreds of thousands more, were murdered. So what was Wiesenthal to do? Well, the sunflower contains Wiesenthal's answer to that question. And what is fascinating about this book is that Wiesenthal went on then to ask a hundred or more theologians, religious leaders, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, to write a response to how he handled the situation. And that's included in this in this book. But here's the thing. His answer, his answer to this German officer was basically this. The people you have sinned against are dead. The only one who could forgive you is God. And I'm not God. I can't forgive you and it would be unthinkable for me to forgive you for what you did to others who can no longer speak. If there is forgiveness for you, Wiesenthal said, if there's forgiveness for you, only God could grant it. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Now, verses 6 and 7 tell us this is exactly what the scribes were thinking. Jesus is blaspheming. No one has the authority to truly forgive sins but God alone. Isn't this what David confessed in Psalm 51 when he said, you know, sin with Bathsheba and Uriah? Uh, Against you, you only have I sinned, O God. The scribes were right. We have to deal with God when it comes to sin. Uh, Therapists and counselors cannot take away your sin. Alcohol and drugs cannot deal with your sin. And my sin. More money and a faster car and a bigger house cannot wipe away my sin. Popularity, Facebook friends, promotions at work, none of these can provide forgiveness of my sin. I have to deal with God. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew this. Why? Because with him there is forgiveness 
Exodus 34 speaks about God as merciful, faithful, full of steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. That's what he does. Psalm 103, uh, he forgives my iniquity. Don't forget all his benefits. He forgives my iniquity. Psalm 130, uh, if you kept a record, O Lord, of sins, O Lord, who could stand but with, with you? There is forgiveness. You see. Now, the scribes knew this. With God, there is forgiveness. He's the one we must go to. He's the one we must answer to. He's the only one who can grant forgiveness. But here now is Jesus in the flesh before them, speaking these words of blasphemy. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he tells them, uh, I, 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 I don't only... I, this isn't, this is, this doesn't, whether it's, whether it's words here or whether it's to say your sins are forgiven or to tell someone to get up. This is all of a piece to me uh, because I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, this is what they did not believe. What they did not see was that Jesus himself bore the authority of God. And what they did not believe was that Jesus himself was the Son of Man. Now, why is that important? Well, because 14 times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will be called uh, the Son of Man. Now, scribes were the teachers of the law. They knew their Bible. And they knew the words of Daniel 7, 13, which said this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to this son of man in Daniel 7, to him was given dominion and uh, glory and, uh, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. They knew their Bible. And now Jesus comes and says, so that you would know that the Son of Man, that's me, has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man, says Daniel, is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all would serve Him and His kingdom will not pass away. I am, says Jesus, that Son of of man. I am that king who has come to establish, to reveal uh, the kingdom, the reign and rule of the king. I have, says Jesus, I have, I have, says Jesus, this authority. And the scribes cry, blasphemy, blasphemy. I mean, this man is claiming to do something only God. <laughs> Do. This man is putting himself in the place of God. He can't talk like this. He can't make these claims. Somebody stop him. And you see here, friends, here, here are the Pharisees like the unclean spirit of earlier in Mark 1. They, these folks, uh, and the scribes here too, they confess more truth about Jesus uh, than any liberal church does today. The unclean spirit said, I know who Jesus is. He is the Holy One of God. And here the scribes say, he's claiming to be God. So don't ever read your Bible thinking, oh, Jesus just wants us to think of him as a great man and we'll just follow him and he just wants to be a good example. Don't ever believe that. 
When you come to Jesus, you read about Jesus, you worship in a church that worships Jesus, you're talking about the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is God. And He has authority to forgive sin. And so that these folks would know both in word and deed who Jesus is, He says, listen, it doesn't really matter whether I say your sin. But because I know that you know, to have sin forgiven in the heart, well, that's an invisible thing. You can't really, can't really see that. So, so rise, take up your mat, and go home. So that you would know that what I'm saying is true. He testifies to His word with this, with this sign. And this is what happens. And verse 12 says, he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus gives here a taste of his divinity, his power to restore. And for all believers, of course, that new body awaits us as sure as the resurrection body of Christ walked the earth. We know Jesus has power to restore Bodies, And he will, in the last day, the Bible says he will, uh, as he called Lazarus out of the tomb, Lazarus come out. So at the last day, he will call all believers and they, they will come out. All will come out. Some to judgment who rejected him. Others to life eternal. He has that power. But here's a, here's a little taste of it in Mark chapter 2. And, uh, and he wants these scribes to make sure they get... The point. And so this man gets up and takes his mat, and the Bible says he walks out before them all. <laughs> you got to remember, right? He was carried in by men, and he was let down from the roof onto the floor. And now he comes to Jesus, and he, he walks out with his mat before them all. So make no mistake about it, this passage says Jesus has authority. To forgive sins. Now, friends, here's the here's the beautiful thing. The Jesus who Mark has already revealed to us is a tender and merciful, taking sick women by the hand, touching untouchable lepers with his hand and raising them up. The Jesus who says, all those who come to me, I will never cast away. Here's the beautiful thing that this tender and gentle and lowly and merciful and kind Jesus is the one, the Bible says, who has all authority and all power on earth right now, today, to forgive sins. Whatever that sin may be. Now, do you know what that means? That means you don't have to wait to be forgiven. You can have forgiveness Today, Jesus has authority on earth right now, right here, to forgive you in a way that no one else can. To cleanse you, redeem you, make you clean, and grant you new life. This is the good news of Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man. Peter will confess him later in the book. You're the Christ, the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Soldier will exclaim at the end of this book at the cross, truly this man was the Son of God. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to identify the real need. We need to acknowledge the one with authority. And we need, says this passage, to possess, not simply profess, faith. We need to possess faith. And here... 
in the heart, not simply profess it with words. Notice what the Bible says. And when Jesus saw their faith, and verse 8, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. And verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Clearly the crowd around Jesus that day was amazed. As you would be. Uh, the word for amazed here is actually the word from which we get the word ecstasy. They were, they were completely out of themselves. They marveled, and the Bible says they glorified God. That is, they praised God, saying, we never saw anything like this. No, I guess not. And what a scene it was. Hole in the roof. I know what i do if I was, had a hole in the roof. i call Mr. Sulik. And he comes and helps. But they leave, uh, and, uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a hole in the roof. A man paralyzed moments before just walked past them. All with a word from Jesus. That Jesus has authority to forgive sins, has the power to heal and raise up the lame as he will raise up the dead, ought to fill us with amazement and cause us to glorify God. Yes, that's obvious. That he forgives us all our sin when we come to him ought to fill us and keep us filled with amazement too. We don't deserve forgiveness. We can't demand forgiveness. It is his free gift to grant as we put our hope and trust in him. Now, no doubt there were those there that day that truly believed and could say with the prophet Micah, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So no doubt that day, as this man walks through, there were some there who, who said, we haven't seen anything like this, who had true faith and knew that their sins too were cast into the depths of the sea. He's done that at the cross, of course, right? He took our sins and our sins were nailed to the cross, uh, never to be brought up again in the depths of the sea. Folks who know, uh, folks who know that, that their sins are, are drowned in the depths of the sea, forgiven fully, they're amazed and they glorify God and they can't help but praise Him. Can't help but do it. And when the church doors are open, uh, they're there with God's people to give Him thanks and the worship that is due His name. That's what worship is, after all. It's giving uh, God uh, the praise that He is worthy of. So when these doors are open for worship, people who come are saying, I believe you are worthy of, your, of my worship. I know my sins are... Cast away. When can I come to praise the Lord? That's the heart of the believer. Cleansed, redeemed, restored, forgiven. We also know, though, of course, that the crowds throughout the Gospels will at times sing the praises of Jesus, but that same crowd will often then turn on him, much as they would do the Apostle Paul. Remember that one infamous case of the fickleness of the crowds? Happened at Lystra where Paul and Barnabas come and they're preaching the gospel and the people say, oh, Hermes and Zeus, the gods of 
come down. And they worship Paul and Barnabas. They say, wow, these these folks were really moved. (laughs) Well, yeah. A few verses later, some men persuade the crowds to change their mind. And the Bible says they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, figuring they'd killed him. Likewise, in John 6, crowds followed Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000. That miracle, like the miracle here in Mark 2, left the people amazed. In fact, after that miracle, we read the, the Bible says they wanted to take Jesus and make him king. Oh, be my king. Crowd tracks Jesus down later in the chapter. But Jesus tells them, you know what? You're not coming after me for the right reason. You don't want me. You just want bread. And Jesus tells them, well, actually, folks, I am the bread of life. And you need to, 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 to eat, uh, you know, I am the food. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, unless you fully commit to me, uh, see that I am actually life. You're without hope. You need to come to me. And they changed their mind about Jesus, the Bible says. Many who had followed him at that point turned back. What's the point? Well, the point is being amazed doesn't save you. Being in ecstasy about some kind of experience you've had doesn't save you. The point is that shock and awe and experiences you can't explain that leave you perplexed, none of that saves you. The point is, as R.C. Sproul put it, you are not saved by a profession of faith. Wow. But you are saved by the possession of faith. That is, you have faith within. You're not, sim- you're, not, you're not saved simply by the words of your mouth, but by the confession of your heart. When Jesus saw their faith, you know, they were coming to Jesus because they believed he alone could help them. Their actions were the visible evidence to their faith. Faith works. Their faith, friends, brought them to Jesus as it does today. They wanted to be near him. He was their only hope. Their faith compelled them to get to Jesus any way they could. (laughs) Digging at the roof. We've got to get to him. They didn't even understand fully who Jesus was or what their true need really was. But they came to Jesus full of faith. On the other hand, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, these scribes, they were, verse 6 tells us, questioning in their hearts. Oh, yes. This Jesus, tender and merciful, this Jesus, God himself, this Jesus, knows your heart. He knows it this morning. Everyone. He knows our thoughts. He knows what's swirling around inside your head and inside your soul. Right now, He knows and He sees. He sees faith. He sees anger and pride. He sees indifference. He sees the heart that rejects Him and refuses Him. He sees the heart that welcomes Him and is humble before Him knows their need of Him and is crying out to Him even though they never make a sound. And He also hears those who profess to be amazed, who even will verbally anyway give some kind of outward praise and glory to God and express amazement. This is really quite something. Yes, I'll sing a hymn. Yes, I'll speak the words of the creeds and the confession. Yes, I'll speak the Christian language when I'm in church on a Sunday morning. But the question is, what lies 
What lies within? Do you possess faith? You know, John, in one of his letters, would write something pretty amazing. John would write, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is, whoever has, whoever possesses the Son by faith has life. Have you not only confessed with your mouth, but have you believed in your heart Jesus is Lord? And have you seen in your heart your own great need for forgiveness? Only He can do it. Have you seen in your heart your own great need for the only one who has authority to forgive you, forgive you all the dark and dirty, secret and filthy, judgment-worthy, condemnation-deserving, God-dishonoring, soul-deadening, life-destroying sin? Have you come? To the one who has the authority to forget. Have you sought him out? Or like these four friends of the paralytic. Do you know someone in need? And have you told them of Jesus and helped them come to see him? Oh. Oh, for friends who will. Oh, for friends who will take us to Jesus. When we have not the strength. To come ourselves. Oh, for such friends. We need to get you to Jesus. A Christian said one, is one beggar showing another beggar where he can find bread? In other words, where he can find Jesus. Faith, friends, is not simply some kind of intellectual assent to the truth of who Jesus is. It is wanting to be near him in his presence. Have you come to him? Crowds at the door. You don't care about the crowds or what others think. You need to get to Jesus. You can't walk. Doesn't matter. Someone, take me to Jesus. Why do you go? Maybe you're too sinful. No, you've already heard him say to the leper, I'm willing. You need but come. Take me to Jesus. Is that you today? Well, Jesus sees. Jesus knows. He sees your faith today or he sees the questioning within your hearts, but to all he calls us. To come. In the 16th century, one man wrote these words in his last will and testament. I have no other defense or refuge for salvation than his gratuitous adoption on which alone my salvation depends. With my whole soul, I embrace the mercy which he has exercised towards me through Jesus Christ, atoning for my sins with the merits of his death and passion, that in this way he might satisfy for all my crimes and faults. Blot them from his remembrance. I testify also and declare that I suppliantly beg of him that he may be pleased so to wash and purify me in the blood which my sovereign Redeemer has shed, that under his shadow I may be able to stand at the judgment seat. Almost 400 years later, across the ocean, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, a man who at the time of his death was probably the richest man in America wrote this in his will. His will began... I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having redeemed it and washed it in His most precious blood, He will present it faultless before the throne of my Heavenly Father. And I entreat my children to maintain and defend at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of the complete forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ once offered and through that alone. So two wills made by men living 400 years apart. One a Frenchman, the other an American. One a minister, the other a banker. 
One a poor man, the other a rich man. Yet as they reflected on their life, only one thing mattered. The work of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of their sin. John Calvin did not appeal uh, to his poverty. And J.P. Morgan did not appeal to his riches. But both in their wills put their trust in the precious blood of Christ shed on the cross. And they both knew it was only through faith in Jesus that their sins could be forgiven. There's a tombstone. Close with this. There's a tombstone in a cemetery just outside New York City. I haven't seen it yet. Only read about it. But I want to go there. Uh, And it's a tombstone that's simply engraved with one word. There's no long epitaph. There's no list of lifetime accomplishments. No names or dates. Just like these men's names in Mark 2 are never mentioned. There's just one word identifying this grave because it's the only word that matters. In large, prominent letters stands the word, you know it, forgiven. Is that what will be on your tombstone? Because nothing else matters but that you and I have gone to God, seen in Jesus, the one through whom all our sins, no matter what they be, might be forgiven. He's the only one who can forgive. Have you gone near to Him? May we go to Him even today to find there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we go to Him and find that forgiveness even today. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for good news that there is forgiveness of sin. We're so thankful that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We're so thankful that as we come to Jesus, what we thought maybe was our most important problem on a Sunday morning that you revealed to us through the Scripture, Jesus reveals to us uh, that our our most important concern has to be our heart relationship to the ever-living God. And so we thank you that you have provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves, a way for our sin to be cleansed, our sin to be forgiven through the life, death, resurrection and coming again of this Jesus, tender, merciful, the one with the authority to forgive. May we know that forgiveness even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.